Hello and welcome back to Spotlight on Women in Health Ventures, the podcast powered by Thea, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering women as entrepreneurs in healthcare. Dr. Mimi Winsberg is co-founder and chief medical officer of Brightside Health, a telehealth startup focused on delivering life-changing mental health care. A Stanford-trained psychiatrist with over 25 years of clinical experience, she was previously the on-site psychiatrist at the Facebook Wellness Center. Dr. Winsberg appears regularly on Good Morning America, and her work has been featured in Health Day, Business Insider, Fast Company, and Bloomberg Business Week. She is also the author of the insightful book, Speaking in Thumbs. In this episode, we cover topics like her journey co-founding Brightside Health, the future of telepsychiatry and the role data science can play, and just general advice for aspiring physician entrepreneurs. Dr. Winsberg, thank you so much for being on today. Very excited to hear about your background and your journey as a physician entrepreneur. So to kick things off, would like to first learn more about how you initially got interested in mental health and psychiatry before venturing on this path of of entrepreneurship. Sure. Thanks so much for having me today. So as far as um, my interest in mental health and psychiatry, I had always been interested in the brain. I was a neuroscience major in college, and I actually thought I might become a neurosurgeon. But after starting to treat patients, I realized that what I really like is talking to patients, um, you know, rather than operating on them. And so I was really drawn to psychiatry. And I think ultimately psychiatry is about understanding life. And that in itself is very appealing. How did you translate this interest into the path that you're, you've been on as a physician entrepreneur? Well, after completing my residency training, I I did a fellowship, a research fellowship in bipolar disorder and brain imaging. But again, what I really loved was patient care. So I did that for many years. And my path into digital health, ironically, was, was, was somewhat through my athletic pursuits. As an endurance athlete, it's important to track metrics such as how much sleep you're getting, how much fatigue you've, you've accrued, and so forth. And in working with patients, particularly bipolar patients, I found it was really helpful to have them track their moods and and other symptoms such as sleep. And, you know, this goes back to days before we had apps or, you know, I was using having them use pen and paper to track metrics and doing measurement-based care, essentially. And then when the quantified self-movement began to emerge, I think that was around, I don't know, 2011 or so, I... I got interested in its application to mental health and how we could really improve the delivery of mental health care. And so I started consulting for companies back then and became Lyra Health's first medical director in 2015 and then went on to co-found Brightside a couple of years later. So I would love to learn more about Brightside. I mean, I've gone through the website, read news articles about it, about all the the money that's been raised, but I want to hear from you in your own words, how you first started Brightside Health. What was the inspiration? What was the process like? I'd really like to delve into that. Yeah. So I had been working in digital health at the intersection of, of technology and mental health. And I had had the good fortune to meet Brad Kittrich, our CEO, shortly after we had both left other jobs at, at mental health companies. And 
he was really excited about the idea of delivering effective and affordable mental health care and really had the product skills to translate some of the work I had done on algorithmic approaches to treating depression and other mental health conditions. So Brad was really the first person I had met who could translate these complex clinical ideas into product. And Jeremy, our, our third co-founder and CTO, had the tech, technical expertise to, to build these tools. And so it was kind of a three-way match made in heaven. And um, we, we launched the company and really saw great adoption and great growth and great results early on, even prior to the pandemic. But then, of course, the pandemic did accelerate business in, in important ways. Can we delve into what the products uh, that are offered by Brightside and potentially touch on how it differentiates from other mental health delivery platforms like Talkspace and BetterHelp? Yeah, I think there are general ways in which we differ from some of those other companies along with specific technical you know, proprietary technical tools that are different from those companies. I'd say in general terms, it comes down to scope, the scope of what we treat and the clinical rigor with how, with, with which we treat, with which we treat conditions. So scope and rigor are the two general principles, but then there are proprietary tech tools. So just on the general front, I would say the scope of what we treat is greater in that we treat patients across the severity and acuity spectrum. So we do treat mild to moderate anxiety and depression, but we also treat severe, severe depression and illnesses like bipolar disorder that require medical management in addition to therapy. Brightside, we, we started with the hardest uh, cases. We started with psychiatry and then launched our therapy program. And in our all of our modalities of treatment, we we try to be really precise and rigorous about the way we deliver care. So on the psychiatry side, we use clinical algorithms to more precisely select the right treatment for patients who use our services. And on the therapy side, we deliver therapy using a program called the Unified Protocol that is evidence-based and transdiagnostic. So it can be used across different diagnoses that we see, and that would include not just depression and anxiety, but also trauma, OCD, and eating disorders, other, other conditions as well. In terms of the proprietary tech, we've built a platform that is responsive. So instead of relying on just on scheduled appointments, we can accurately and remotely track patients' symptoms, offer appointments at the time when appointments are needed, give providers information on their patients' in real time to see how they're progressing so that we can not just select the first treatment with precision, but also iterate on that treatment approach quickly. And this is all reflected in our, our published outcomes in peer-reviewed journals. So I think that also is a, a real differentiator from other companies is we're taking a, a rigorous and scientific approach to things, publishing in peer-reviewed journals, and our outcomes really speak for themselves. One paper we published looked at our results compared to a you know, nationally recognized integrated health system that's consistently recognized as best of the best, and we outperformed them by 50%. And so you know, our, our outcomes are really good. And I think that comes down to, again, the algorithms we use to give clinical su decision support to our providers to select the right treatment, and then iterating quickly on that treatment using really an evidence-based and measurement-based approach. 
And in terms of the algorithm that you um, are alluding to, what sort of processes did you have to go through in order to test this algorithm with what standard of care were you like what was, what was the process essentially of testing this algorithm before before putting it out yeah and it's important to understand that um the algorithm is an augmentation to human delivered care so it's not that the computer is deciding what the right treatment is the computer is providing clinical decision support to a trained and licensed provider and that process of developing the algorithm was based initially on really looking at the scientific literature. But over time, as we've treated many tens of thousands of patients, we're able to actually look at our own data set to intuitively and implicitly learn how the algorithm is working. And so this is an iterative process where we began by outlining symptom clusters and matching it to published literature and then applying that to a very large data set that we're collecting. So it reflects another point that's going on in mental health right now, which is that we can, with the data sets available, move away from just RCTs in a traditional setting and more to collecting data, real-world data, at a larger scale. One more thing to say about Brightside is we've always followed the letter of the law to a T. So, you know, we've never prescribed any controlled substances. And, you know, even with the public health emergency relaxed standards, we've, we've run a very tight ship uh, clinically. In terms of your role as a chief medical officer, what are your responsibilities yeah, I mean, they're they're varied. We do lots of different initiatives at Brightside. And so, you know, my first, I would say, uh, responsibility is to set the clinical agenda for, for the company in conjunction with, with our, our leadership team at large. And the second is really to ensure that clinical quality standards are met. That includes workflows, clinical workflows, our network of providers, the management of that network working with the product and technical teams to build and improve our platform and our suite of services. But another role, of course, is to oversee our research efforts and, and you know, learn from the data that we're collecting. And as the CMO, of course, I work with the commercial team to integrate with health plans and health systems and employers that may contract with us. So all of those things get rolled into my job, essentially, you know, doing them all with, with the help of, of, of an, a fantastic team. But, but that's, that's what we do as a clinical team. And how are you able to balance this with your other work and your other pursuits? I, I still see patients, but the majority of my time is spent in this, in this chief medical officer role. I think it's important to keep seeing patients. First, I love it. And second, it, it does keep things real to see patients. I think, you know, it, it's good to remember what it's like to be at the front lines. So I do spend a portion of my time uh, seeing patients. There, there's really not that much other work stuff going on right now. I mean, I did write a book, but that was during the pandemic when really there was nothing else to do. So you know, there, was some <laughs> extra time on my, there was some extra time on my hands at that point. So I, I definitely aspire to to be able to do what you're doing is, is being a chief medical officer, but also still seeing patients. I imagine it can be tough. Are there strategies that you employ to be able to to balance the two while also balancing your life and personal responsibilities as well? Yeah, I mean, I think some of this comes down to good time management and blocking off time for particular activities. So 
having a routine, having set times when you do certain activities versus others helps preserve some of the boundaries. You know, if you know you're seeing patients on Monday and Wednesday, late afternoon, evening, that's a, that's a perfect time to focus on your clinical work. And I do tend to block work off that way rather than do it piecemeal, setting aside time to do deep work versus meeting work. And I, I think sometimes people forget to to calendar things off that way. And these are basic tools that can can help help you juggle, keep keep multiple balls in the air, really. I'd like to talk about just the mental health industry at large. And I mean, we've seen much more investment in the space, especially with with the pandemic and the greater demand. What do you see moving forward and within the industry, what do you see as the biggest issues that have not yet been addressed with all of the startups and the investment that's been going on in the space? So I think it's a great question. And I I think that one thing we've certainly seen is that a lot of companies are focused on the mild to, to moderate end of the severity spectrum of mental health. I call this the worried well or the working well. It's not to say these folks are not struggling. They are, but it it does not represent um, serious mental illness. And it doesn't represent what is largely driving the cost of healthcare in the United States right now when it comes to mental health. And so I think that many of the tools that have been developed and many of the companies that have been launched are focused on this mild to moderate severity. We at Brightside can certainly handle the mild to moderate patients, but we are more focused on the higher severity side of the spectrum and able to treat members who come in with you know more serious symptoms and treat them medically as well as with therapy. And because of this, we are in network with nationally with three of the largest health plans. I think this notion of working in network is another important piece to being able to deliver mental health care at large. People do want to use their insurance for for the care that they're receiving. And so having these in-network contracts is an important piece. You asked how, you know, how how psychiatry might be further enhanced with with telepsychiatry. And I think there are tools that are exciting, such as sentiment analysis, natural language processing, that we're only beginning to scratch the surface of in terms of how they're being applied in patient care. So where do you see Brideside going and, and what do you anticipate some headwinds might be as there's the threat of a recession and employers might be pulling back in terms of some of these telepsychiatry services that they might offer to their employees. So how, how do you think that'll impact the, the business moving forward? Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting question. I, I mean, I think simply put our, our, our bright sides future is bright, but that is, I would say, because we are tackling the tougher issues and, you know, seeing meaningful and impactful results from our, our care the fact that we're in network with three of the largest payers is is important because it it makes us more recession proof because our services are covered through health plan agreements and really become an easy complement for 
companies, employers that are in network with those with those payers, Brightside is just an easy way for them to offer services rather than having another line item for an EAP or mental health services if they're looking to reduce costs. So again, Brightside can, you know, integrate seamlessly that way into the health plan and further integrate for even data sharing and all of this will will sets us up very well for the next couple of years. We don't see any particular headwinds on the on the horizon. Are there new products or offerings that Brightside anticipates on rolling out in the in the coming year? Absolutely. Yeah, we are we are on the cusp of launching a a program for patients in crisis. You'll hear more about that. And we have a number of other clinical initiatives that are that we'll be rolling out over the coming months. Excited to follow along. Would like to talk about your book that you mentioned earlier on in our conversation that you wrote during the pandemic called Speaking in Thumbs. For our listeners, can you give um, a brief summary of what the book covers? and how you got the inspiration for for writing this book. Sure. Yeah, the book is called Speaking in Thumbs, A Psychiatrist Decodes Your Relationship Texts, so you don't have to. And the notion behind the book is that much of our communication, particularly our romantic communication, happens over text messaging now. And that we only started texting in 2007, so this is a relatively new language. And our brains haven't quite caught up to it. So oftentimes I would be in a session with a patient, mind you, very technically savvy patient, and they would hand me their smartphone and say, what does this text mean? And how should I respond to this guy? And, you know, so I I thought a lot about that and what's revealed in our language. We had spent some time and have continued to spend time at Brightside looking at signals of depression and even suicidal risk in text messages. And, you know, one question is, can you tell if somebody's depressed or even suicidal from their text messages? And it turns out there's signal. And so this whole notion of what signal there is in our written words was was an interesting idea to me. And this idea that language is an important window into our brains, into our psyches. So the premise of the book is that one can learn things about the individual from their text messages. So when you're texting with somebody on a dating app, for instance, can you tell what their personality is or their attachment style? And then when you look at your text exchange with a prospective partner or a partner, can you see evidence of what's happening in the pair bond? Can you tell if there's chemistry or compatibility? And then finally, can we use our text messages with another individual as the electronic medical record of our relationship with them and see inflection points retrospectively? All of this, of course, is based on this notion of thin slicing and the idea that you can extrapolate from a small, you can extrapolate information from a small data set. So a small data set gives you insight into a larger phenomena. And what I do in the book is I break this down for people and show them, you know, what signals to look for in text messages and and where they can improve their own communications when it comes to things like expressing empathy, respect, and the other important parameters in a healthy relationship. Fascinating. I I can honestly say I have not heard of another book that delves into 
this form of communication that has become so prevalent in our daily lives. Exactly, exactly. It's such a source of stress and grief for people. And you know, it's, it's true. It's, I've long joked, it's very hard to have an original idea uh, in this world. And I do think this book was original if nothing else, but it's also funny too. The book is, is rife with, with screenshots of text messages. And, you know, when I put out an APB telling people I was writing the book, I, the text came flowing in from all kinds of sources. And so it's a fun read because you actually see real, real text exchanges. And then I break it down for people using the latest behavioral research. In the process of writing this book and, and the key learnings that took away from writing this book, how have you been able to bring that into your work at Brightside? I, I think really the book and Brightside are separate in that way, but it does tie back to this notion of, of signal in text messages. And so if a patient is texting or sending an asynchronous message, you know, is there signal perhaps of risk in the message? And, and I think we do have keywords, word pairings, various ways of seeing things like suicidal risk, for instance, as crisis text line has shown, oftentimes these are not the words you expect, that the most lethal words in text messages are not things like death or die, but they're more notably things like 800 milligrams ibuprofen, you know, and so having the data science to sort of back up where the signal is, is a very important tool. At Brightside, we look at risk terms and messaging. It helps us triage when you're getting a large volume of messages. It's very important to be able to know which are the ones that need to get attended to urgently and quickly, and which are you know more routine messages that might be about an appointment time or needing a refill, You know that those are two very different kinds of messages. And so having the tech tools to essentially triage those messages is very important. We usually like to end our conversations with a lightning round. First question, how do you take care of your mental health? My go-to is exercise. Uh, I'm, I'm a, a self-acknowledged exercise junkie. I think I need it every day. <laughs> my, <laughs> my go-to workouts are, are swimming, biking, and running. And I, uh, I just find after about 10 minutes of getting my heart rate up, uh, I feel noticeably better. And so it's not so much... Uh, that it takes a lot of time in the day, but I need to do it every day. And if I'm really short on time for me, my my go-to mental health workout is is a, a swim in the cold waters of the San Francisco Bay. As soon as I get into cold water, my brain just shuts off and I have to give in to uh, surrender to the cold. And with that comes a, a feeling of well-being. Who are some female founders you look up to? I would say, I think to my friends, more, you know, just because I know them personally, Sheila Gujarati is a biotech founder, also a physician, someone I, I definitely have tremendous respect for. Solome Tibabu, who's the founder of Going Digital Behavioral Health, another colleague that I admire, and Joanna Strober, who founded Kerbo Health and is now, uh, has launched Midi Health. These are all women that I have tremendous respect for. What advice do you have for women who may be interested in getting involved with healthcare entrepreneurship and innovation. You know, if you're coming like yourself from just being in your medical training, I would say take your time. Don't be in a hurry. It's, it's, it's hard to squeeze much from a dry sponge. You know, I think it's good to take time to absorb and hone some good medical skills before, before you kind of wade into the, into the murky waters of starting a company. 
I would say take your time. Again, read and learn. And really, I think the key thing is surround yourself with smart people that are doing things that you find interesting. Much of what I learned early on in the business side was really through osmosis. And, you know, we like to think that medical training is very structured, but much of that happens through osmosis too, through hanging out with mentors, watching the, you know, the saying is, is, is see one, do one, teach one. And I, I think that that applies here as well is just surround yourself with people that are doing interesting things that, that who, who you think are doing those things well. One thing I've experienced as, as I've, as I've aged is that my brain may have maybe less nimble in some ways, less speed, but I I've developed, you know, what I refer to as four wheel drive. And I think that being able to connect dots is very important as you are connecting different fields. So this idea of, of connecting healthcare and innovation and business requires the connecting of dots. And so try to get some expertise in at least one domain and then take your time before trying to connect those dots. So Dr. Winsberg, how can folks get care through Brightside? Yeah, um, the, the simplest way is just to go to our website, which is brightside.com. Um, you can take a free assessment there. There's information on using your health plan at the um, on the on the website as well. But we we really get people into care in less than 48 hours. We always have a point. We're committed to having appointments available in less than 48 hours. And almost everyone gets an appointment within five days. So it's a, a convenient and quick way to get access to a licensed professional if you need someone to talk to or uh, are in need of any kind of medication evaluation. certainly learned a lot. It's definitely a domain that I don't have as much knowledge in. So thank you for, uh, for enlightening me. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's been a great conversation. Thank you all for listening. Visit us on Instagram at Thea Healthcare, on Twitter at ThiaHC, and on our website at theahc.org for more content and to join our vibrant community of young professionals, entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders in healthcare. Special thanks to our amazing producer, Sarah Wetzler, and audio editors, Ellie Park, Asim Jain, Nikita Gupta, and Katie Donahue. If you're enjoying our content, please consider supporting Thea by visiting our website, theahc.org, to donate.